this episode of the Naturist Living Show, Nude Art. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome, dear listener, to episode number 76 of the Naturist Living Show. My name is Stéphane Deschain, and I'm your host for this episode, and I'm also the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And I am very, well, I'm not completely happy to be back home because I was in Florida, but I'm happy to have had a chance to travel to Florida a few weeks ago. And uh, we had some, uh, it was a lot of meetings. I was there primarily representing the International Naturist Federation for the Unity Conference that was put on by uh, uh, Shirley Mason, uh, Shirley and Richard Mason, the Free Beaches people. Um, a great initiative. Um, I mean, it, we, there's a lot of different groups in North America, and she's trying to bring them all together so that uh, we can all work towards our common goal. And I hope there's success there because there's uh, there's more advantage than disadvantages to working together, that's for sure, since we all have generally the same objectives. There's different viewpoints of how to get there or what exactly we are um, advocating for. But big picture, I think we're all in the same in the same boat going in the same direction. So hopefully that worked out. I also had a chance to, uh, I did a lot of driving to stop by uh, Sunsport and uh, get together with Morley, uh, Morley Schloss. And uh, so you'll hear that interview in a future episode of the Naturist Living Show. And uh, I also was at Cypress Cove. I went to the uh, Nudist Research Library, the American Nudist Research Library, which is a tremendous resource. Those folks there are doing an incredible job because they are preserving our history, the history of the movement. You know, naturism is not just getting naked, as you know. It's, it's a whole philosophy. There's a lot of thinking behind it. There's a lot of uh, people who have, done a lot of philosophizing, a lot of uh, theorizing, a lot of uh, postulating, whatever word you want to use, about what the movement means, what it's about, where we're going, where we should be going. Um, I've done a lot of research on Dr. Maurice Parmelee, who was the first, um, the first person to write a real treatise on naturism in English. We always talk about the younger witters and the other and folks uh, in Germany who wrote the first books. But in English, it was uh, Dr. Maurice Parmelin. He's largely forgotten. So I'm, I'm going to bring him up and we're going to do a show on him as well. And that's part of the reason I was at the American Nudist Research Library. Also, I was doing research on the definition of naturism, uh, which I think everybody has an idea of what it is, but the exact words from the INF do vary, and I have not been able to find that answer, so I decided to go through all of the guides, uh, the naturist guides, since they started in the 70s, and I pulled out all the definitions, and sure enough, they do change through time. So the question is, were they changing by mistake, by translation errors, or did we actually... Did the uh, vote 
change the definition at uh, Congresses. And that's now that I have when they changed, I'm going to compare that to the minutes of the various Congresses. And uh, I, I think it is important because people quote to that definition everywhere. It's important that there is a consistent wording. And I can tell you, for example, that the current definition on the INF website actually doesn't match any of the definitions in any of the guides that were ever published by the INF. So something funny is going on, in my opinion, and we'll try to figure that out. So that was part of the research as well. So it was uh, th- those folks at uh, the American News Research Library really need your support and deserve it. Um, they're volunteers, and they're saving our history. They're digitizing it and making it available for researchers, not just naturists who want to read about their past, but for all kinds of academics and historians who are um, going there relatively regularly and writing papers and documents as a result. And you're going to hear uh, interviews with folks uh, that use the library in the future uh, for research as well. So if you have a chance, go take a look at their website and maybe donate some money to them. Uh, They would really appreciate it. I'll put a link in the show notes. And I'll also put a link to an interview I did with some of the folks at the library uh, a few years ago. So if you want to hear more about that, you can. I got a call a few weeks back from uh, a uh, person who works at a place called The Museum. That's the whole name of the place, The Museum. It's in Kitchener, uh, which is part of Kitchener-Waterloo. And if anybody has a BlackBerry, uh, RIM, Research in Motion, who is the maker of the BlackBerry, is based in Waterloo. And so that's its biggest claim to fame right now, although it has two great universities, the University of Waterloo, which is a world renowned uh, technical university, and uh, there's a, a much smaller university, Wilfrid Laurier University, which is particularly special to me because that's where I graduated from. Um, so I know the area quite well. I didn't know the museum because it's relatively new. And Alyssa was contacting me because they're putting on an exhibition of nude art, Canadian nude art. Um and it's very interesting because as I learned about the museum, it's not your typical museum because it's not funded by the government. It gets part of its funding from the government, but it's dependent on uh, support from the general public and corporations and members and that kind of thing. And uh, that means that they are they have to be fairly creative because they are um, dependent on how much people like what they do. And so they have to keep providing new and more interesting exhibits. And they're very big. They used to be a children's museum uh, until they morphed into what they are now. And they're still very big with uh, children and schools and school groups. And while I was there uh, a couple weeks ago, they had a, a whole exhibit on uh, Egyptian, ancient Egyptian art and culture. And uh, they had a mummy there and all kinds of things like that. So... This nude exhibit, as a result, is in very interesting and kind of brave because um, while it certainly is getting attention, there's been a fair bit of media already. It's just been announced. It hasn't even opened yet. Um, there, 
they are in some ways also risking that some of their base might take offense. That's what everybody's worried about. I'm not sure it's as big of a concern or it should be as big of a concern as it is often with people because I don't think people as are as offended by that, especially in Canada, um, as we think they might be. But time will tell and we'll see. But of course, the reason they called is they were looking for uh, some people to get involved in some lectures and uh, I wasn't happy with just that because this is, of course, right up our alley and I wanted to be more involved. So so we, we talked, we met, we talked, and uh, a number of things are happening. First, I should say, anybody who wants to go, I will provide a link to the uh, museum in the show notes. The exhibit opens on March 7th. So if you're listening to this at the very beginning of when it's first posted, you it's not open yet. But since I know most of you are listening uh, later on, uh, it may already be up and running, and it will go until May. So hopefully you are not listening right now in June or even later because unfortunately then you've missed it. But if it's not the end of May yet, you still have a chance to go see the exhibit. It's in Kitchener-Waterloo, as I said, at a place called the Museum. Fairly easy to find if you just search in Google. Um, What I will also be doing, and the reason Alyssa called me, is uh, they're having a speaker series on Sundays, lectures on topics related to nudity. So on March 29th, I will be doing a lecture on the uh, naturism. It's titled Naturism, Nudism, or Gymnosophy, and I'm going to talk about the history of it and what the different aspects of the movements are about. And uh, so you're most welcome to come and join and listen and participate. But the more interesting aspect that we just finalized today is on March 27th, Friday, March 27th, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., there's going to be a nude viewing of the exhibit. So it's going to be essentially closed to the general public. The only way to uh, access it is will we take your clothes off. It will not be clothing optional because most listeners know how I feel about clothing optional. I think it's more it's a much better environment when we keep it pure. So that's what it will be. And there'll be a transition area, places to put your clothes, and uh, it'll be a nice little evening, three hours. You can come in the beginning or you can come halfway through and view the art and learn about the art um, and learn more about what why it's there. But you don't actually have to go because I know that uh, many listeners are not in immediate area, not even in Canada. So for those who can't attend and for those who want to attend and will attend, but are looking for a little bit more of background before they do. I got in contact with Virginia, who is the curator of this particular exhibit, so we could hear a bit more. I'm Virginia Eichhorn, and I'm the director and the chief curator of the Tom Thompson Art Gallery and the curator of the exhibition Getting Naked. Um, The Tom Thompson Art Gallery and the museum have worked together on other projects before, notably Searching for Tom in 2011, So when David Marskell, who is the CEO of the museum, contacted me about having myself and the Tom involved in this um, exhibition, I said immediately, absolutely, let's see what we can do. And uh, what was it that intrigued you about the exhibition? Well, I actually have a couple of different things that intrigued me about it. One thing is I actually had been a life model in university and off and on for artists who were friends of mine afterwards. So I've always, you know, really been drawn to 
the uh, subject matter of the, the nude in art. Um, and also, it's just it's such an important and integral part of the history of art. If you are looking at the earliest artworks, they were of nude figures. They were used for fertility rites. They were used to evoke good uh, blessings from the gods for good weather and harvest and such. That that context of the importance of the human body as representing the spirit and and so much more has been consistent within the study of art for way more than centuries, for millennia. And so as an art historian, that's something that's really important um, to me and something that I've studied in uh, throughout my years in university. But I was also really quite surprised to find out that the Art Bank, which is the other important partner in this particular project, it has about 17,000 artworks, and these are rented out to museums and galleries, but also to offices and MPs' offices and and such. And even though they've got a couple thousand pieces that are of nudes of all different style, all different medium, all different times, and ranging from very abstract to very beautiful to uh, you know, some that really are challenging what our ideas are around how the naked body should be depicted, but those ones rarely see the light of day. And they're works by really important, significant Canadian artists. There is no doubt as to their merit as important Canadian artworks, but the very fact that they depict nudity in some form is enough to have a number of people shy right away from them. So when David and I and some of the staff from the museum went up to Ottawa to meet with Vicki Henry and her staff and to look at what they had, it just seemed really um, almost kind of criminal that these beautiful artworks were spending all their time in the vault. And so it felt like the right time to do this show and to bring it forward to present the artworks, which represent about a, approximately about 100 years' worth of art. Um, we've got about 100 pieces uh, from the Art Bank and about 20 that are coming from the Tom Thompson collection as well. And what we really want to be doing is using this opportunity to kind of challenge people as to why. Why are we so uncomfortable with the naked body? Uh, you know, we see it being used in... Um, to sell things, we see, uh, you know, obviously proliferation of pornography over the internet. Uh, you know, nudity and HBO TV series is prevalent, and people seem to be okay with it in those kinds of contexts. But put paint on canvas, or take a photograph of it, or sculpt it in marble, and people get really kind of freaked out, and they only want to see it within a particular context. In that context is a museum or a gallery. Now, uh, you, you talked about the Art Bank, and uh, mm -hmm. most of our listeners are actually outside Canada. Can you explain a little bit of what is the Art yes. Bank and who owns it and who funds yes, it? Yes, the, well, the, the Art Bank is um, run through the Department of Culture and Heritage here in Canada. It is located in Ottawa, and its mandate is to collect some of the best work from Canadian artists, uh, historic and contemporary, and have the work available to be out there being shown in um, 
museums, in galleries, and in other environments where they might not necessarily have access to original artworks themselves. Very interesting. So obviously they don't have problems collecting and, and purchasing nude art. Yeah, not at all. So it's going beyond there that's a problem. So would you say that people who are in from the arts world don't have the same discomfort towards nudity as maybe the general public then? Uh, I think people in the art world generally are, are much more comfortable with it. Uh, you know, the study of uh, the human body as a, you know, is a very, um, you know, very fundamental uh, part of the artistic vocabulary. Students, you know, do uh, life drawing from very early on. It's still taught in academies and the universities, uh, museums and galleries run life drawing classes continually for adults and for young people. And then, you know, as art historians and as curators, you're dealing with subject matter of all different kinds. So, you know, we're exposed to it on a fairly regular basis. And I think, you know, we don't we don't think about it as being something that, you know, people would feel uncomfortable with for the most part. Um, but people who are not involved in the arts, I think, do have a different level of discomfort with nudity when it's portrayed in artworks. Mm. And and when you, the, the collection you've selected for the uh, exhibit as mm -hmm. at the museum, um, that's not all of the nude art in the art bank, is that right? No, no. I think they must have probably close to a couple thousand pieces. It's very, very, very extensive. So how do you decide what to pick and what to include in the collection? Well, we spent a good part of the day going through and looking at the work. And then uh, I was given access to the database, went through, narrowed it down to about 300 pieces. And then from that, those 300 pieces, I further narrowed it down to about the 100 that I was talking about. And what I really wanted to do was to show the range. So it was important to have artworks from different historical periods, artworks um, with different medium, and artworks that were using the nude in different ways, whether it was literally, whether it was symbolically, whether it was metaphorically. Uh, because so many people, I think, have this preconception when you talk about the nude in art as to what it looks like. That They have one idea, they have one image in their head, or one sort of idea around that it's a particular style or a particular uh, way of rendering it. And so what I wanted to do was to ensure that we had the wide, a very, very wide range uh, so that people's kind of preconceptions could be, could be challenged and their understanding of the role of nude in art could be expanded as well. Why, why is nudity in art so important? Because it is seems to be a, a, a pillar of art, of art in general, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think one very elemental form is to the, the you know the, we we all have human bodies. It's the it what it's what unites us in our humanity, in our experience of the world, um, you know, of our our connection with every other human being that has lived throughout history, and it's a really powerful vehicle for uh, symbolic representations, whether it is innocence or whether it is something along the lines of of liberty. 
and or fragility or, um, you know, vulnerability. The, the body can convey that in ways much more effectively and with greater range than a lot of other subject matter can. And so I think because of that, it, it continues to endure as a really important um, image within contemporary art making as well as historic. And, and what do you think that the viewer gets when uh, they view nude art? What, what's the impact? Is it different from other art? Uh, yes. Uh, well, I mean, for one thing, there is the immediate connection. I mean, again, bodies, we all have them. So there is immediately an entryway to the artwork where something that, say, is of uh, an abstract piece will be more difficult for some people to be able to make a connection with because, you know, they're looking for a subject. They're, they're looking for a means of entry. So I think that it definitely provides an, an open door to invite people to make a connection, but I think it's that connection that makes some people uncomfortable. And, you know, there is also, without a doubt, a great number of, um, there's a great number of artworks that depict, you know, the nude, the naked body, and the intention is to be provocative and to be erotic and to celebrate positive sexuality. And that's a good thing. And, you know, there is a range of artwork like that that we're, we're including in the show, but also ones that are erotic. But I think one of the things that happens is that, you know, if you're looking at a particular artwork and it is, you know, sort of depicting the body in a, and predominantly it's, it's of women in a very provocative way. And you're, you, you know, suddenly you rec- realize that you are looking at it almost from the position of the voyeur. And, you know, you'd start to think, does this woman know that I'm looking at her? And should I be, you know, kind of looking at her in this way? Um, it, I think, helps to challenge us as to how we regard other people. It, it challenges us to not objectify. It, it, that's very interesting. Uh, uh, the, so is eroticism always part of nude art? No, no, I don't think so. There, there are some works that might include nudes that are actually meant to be exactly the opposite. Uh, there's a very famous uh, painting by Titian, a Phoenician artist um, from the 15th century called Sacred and Profane Love. And it's two women depicted uh, sitting beside a well. And one woman is naked. The other woman is, uh, you know, covered in, you know, beautiful, luxurious, rich clothing and and so when people are first asked which one do you think is sacred and which is profane often people will say oh the one that's sacred is the woman who is dressed because she is so modest you know because she's being modest but the sacred one is actually the naked woman she is you know revealing herself in her essence she is not trying to hide anything she's not camouflaging herself she is being who she absolutely essentially is uh, that's uh, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that because uh, certainly as naturists, that's something we're always fighting against the idea that uh, nudity is always sexual and that uh, yeah it, it's not you know mm-hmm. it, it does humanity is sexual uh, the, the, the human body by itself doesn't have to be yes exactly right and so where I don't know if you know we're uh, we're planning on the uh, March 27th in the evening is going to be 
uh, a nude evening to see the nude exhibition. Yes, I heard that. And so you, you talk about the voyeur relationship you can have with the art. If mm-hmm. the viewer is nude, as we all will be, do mm-hmm. you think that changes the way you look at the art? Hmm, I don't know. I guess it, it. I think that's actually a really interesting question. And I think, again, it would probably provide more of that, that sort of sense of um, exploration in the, the responses to the works. And I would wonder if, again, being naked oneself in, you know, looking at some of those pieces, that there would actually be perhaps, particularly some of the ones that I was just referencing where, you know, it's sort of the position of the voyeur, if there, it would be even more of that sense of, you know, empathy for the vulnerability of the woman as she is being depicted. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, I think it'll be interesting because I, I, I'm seeing probably two different uh, types of people that will be participating. There will be those who may have very little experience uh, being nude in a public setting themselves, and so mm-hmm. will probably feel uh, some sense of, of vulnerability because uh, yeah. it'll be very different for them. And then those of us who are very used to it and see nothing in in, uh, in uh, being nude at all, including in the art, will mm-hmm. not perhaps not have the same reaction. Um, I'll give you the example. There's one that you feature in, on the website, which is uh, an older woman who I understand is the mother of the painter. Yes, that's right. This, this, the uh, Donegan uh, Corrigan. Yes, and somebody was telling me about uh, the sexuality aspect, and I said, oh, that's interesting. I I didn't see any sexuality in it at all. Mm-hmm. I just saw an older woman with a, you know, a well-worn body that shows a life well-lived. Uh, yes, and, and well, you know, and very um, much presented within that sense of having no shame and uh, being proud. And, and for me, it's also that sense uh, and of... You know, she is in the process of, you know, disrobing. So there's that sense of, of transformation, of change, of the passage of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another very uh, common trope within art historic practice and artist pra- artistic practice is the um, inclusion of the window, which again is about transition and about change. So everything about that particular artwork to me speaks out and says this is about you know, being proud of who you've evolved and who you who you are and not apologizing again for who who that person is that you are at this particular period in time as you change and go on to the next stage. Right, right. Now, if, if hopefully several of the listeners will be have a chance to participate uh, or at least go to the exhibit over the next few months, mm-hmm. um, how would you suggest they approach it? What, do you, what how... How do you think they should look at the pieces? What should they be doing? Well, I think to 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 approach it with an open mind and to um, we'll be having information about the different artists and some highlights on some of the particular pieces. But I think to kind of approach it with looking at it from the perspective of the artist and to try to think in terms of what is he or she trying to get at? What are, what are they trying to express? And how do I, or how do I not, end up making a connection with that subject matter? 
That's interesting. Now, in terms of the motivations of the artist, I, I, I think that's an interesting thing to try, thing to, try to figure out. And mm-hmm. uh, I've sometimes wondered when you, especially when you look at the classical nudes at the time when they, you know, maybe that was the only, that was pornography because there was no photography, there was no film or anything like that. Do right. you think, do you think that was sometimes the motivation in the artist because they could sell that? Oh, absolutely. And especially because, of course, it was being um, sold to, you know, the the big patrons of the arts and and such. So, you know, the the nudes and the bacchanalias and and such that were, you know, being depicted back in the Renaissance and, um, you know, the Baroque period and such, those were generally done, you know, particularly to be hanging in the boudoir and to be risque. But yet they're not shocking, or and I've I've never heard that through any parts of history it ever was shocking. Was um, it? Well, interestingly, it's certain things have been considered shocking uh, within how the nude has been depicted in history. But it sometimes is more of that sense of the the um, la- the, the, the lack of idealization with it. Uh, there was an artist named Caravaggio who was, again, a um, Baroque artist, and he depicted uh, saints with uh, and the Holy Family with uh, really dirty, nasty, unidealized-looking feet and such. And people were kind of horrified by the fact that he was depicting figures that were not idealized. They actually looked like real people. Interesting. And that was shocking. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but not necessarily the the naked nymphs with the idealized bodies. <laughs> yes. Well, is there anything that you did not select because you thought it might be too shocking in the collection? No, no. Uh, and again, I really appreciate the fact that uh, David was very, very supportive. He did not try to, um, you know, but to influence. He wanted it to be the show that it needed to be. So he was very supportive of all of the choices that I made. And I feel that all of them are very valid and there's a lot more if we'd had more space that we could have included. But um, I think, you know, there are some works that are going to be a little tougher for people than others, but that just adds to the entire dialogue. And do you think we'll see this kind of exhibit anywhere else in Canada after this? Well, I hope so. I would really like to think that this will stimulate other um, museums and galleries to be thinking about how can we do something along that sort of line and see what sort of dialogue we can stimulate within our community. Well, I hope so, because it is uh, it is truly odd in some ways when you think about it that we're so uncomfortable with our own image, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's so very peculiar. And you, you see that same sort of thing happen where, you know, you can have the, the busty girl lying on a car, you know, in an advertisement to sell a car. But heaven forbid that, you know, a woman nurse her baby in a restaurant or something. <laughs> so if we really did become completely comfortable with our bodies and nudity was normal, do you think it would be less of an interesting topic then for artists? No, I think it, it will can always continue because, um, you know, it does have that profound emotional and metaphoric power. 
And I think that I think it would be great if we can become more comfortable with bodies where we're, you know, appreciative of them in all of the variety of shapes and sizes and and colors and and such, and that we are able to embrace a much um, healthier relationship with our, with bodies in in all of their diversity. But I think that even if that were to happen universally, that uh, the human body will always continue to be an important part of the subject matter of art making. So again, the exhibit opens on Friday, uh, Saturday, March 7th, and runs through May, so you have lots of opportunities to come and take a look at it. If you go to the website, and I'll put the links in uh, the show notes to the various places you can see information, um, you can see some of the art that's being displayed. There's over 100 pieces. There's only, I think, a, maybe a half a dozen or so on the website, but it gives you an idea of some of the, well, the variety and the breadth of uh, Content, uh, not just paintings, but sculptures and and, and, and lots of interesting stuff. So, so I um, I hope you'll get a chance to participate. Uh, my lecture will be on Sunday, March 29th at one thirty p.m. and uh, the Friday, March twenty seventh. That's the big event that I'm hoping lots of people will attend. So, from seven to ten p.m. Um, it is nude viewing of the art itself, which will be interesting. And afterwards, um, there is a, a place downstairs, a restaurant, which is attached to the museum called Imbibe. Uh, they're open till midnight, and if folks want to hang out, there'll be uh, music. Uh, they have entertainment, live entertainment on Friday nights. It's a restaurant and a bit of a pub as well. Looks like it has a nice atmosphere. And there are several hotels in the area. It's right downtown Kitchener. Um, so there are several hotels in the area, the Walper Hotel, um, there's uh, Delta in Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, Hampton Inn, Homewood Suites, Radisson Hotel. There's lots of places to stay as well. There's transit, so if you have a good time imbibing at Imbibe, you will not need to drive. There's taxi. Uh, it's not that small of a town. Kitchener-Waterloo may seem relatively small compared to a huge place like Toronto, but it's actually a, a big city uh, with everything you might want. So. Hopefully, several of you will get to join us, and I look forward to seeing you there. Hi, Felicity. How are you doing? Hey, Stefan. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I really enjoyed that video you guys had on. That was a lot of fun. How'd that happen? Yeah, the, the uh, documentary. Uh, we just got contacted by this student at the Pratt Institute, and she needed to do a documentary project for her film class, and uh, she decided she wanted to do it on nudism. So she did some internet searching, and she found us, and uh, we got together, and it was a lot of fun, and it came out really nice, and um, the community really liked it too, so. Good, good. I, I think it's a good documentary, and it's a little quick, but uh, the message is really good. But I got to ask, you know, what's with Jordan? He's dressed the whole time. And, and he looks like he's looking at close-ups of penises on the screen, on the computer screen. Yeah. Um, well, the student, her, her assignment, it was supposed to be only five minutes, the documentary. And she even went overtime because it was over six minutes. So the time that we spent talking about, you know, being naked or being clothed, it was kind of cut out. And um, and there wasn't any context uh, with the videos, so we did get quite people asking about that. Um, but I actually have Jordan next to me, so I'm going to have him talk about these things that uh, about these questions. Hey, right. Stefan. Hey, Jordan. 
How are you? Nice. Long time no talk. I know, I know. How's everything with you? Things are great up here. It's Well, it's a little cold, you know, being Canada in the winter and all. It was much nicer when I was in Florida last week. Ah, don't worry. It too will change. How are things in New York? It's cold. It's cold. Which is why I was dressed in the um, documentary, by the way. You were dressed in, You were dressed because, so, well, so Felicity wasn't cold or that there was another young man there who I don't think we were introduced to? Yeah, actually, the young uh, guy is a good friend of ours from uh, California. He's, um, he was just in town, so we told him to come on down, and he said he didn't have a problem. He actually also was interviewed, but it uh, didn't make the, uh, the cut at the end. Um, really that, nice guy, though. That is a problem, you know. I, I do those all the time, and you the context seems missing sometimes, and you do really great stuff, and it doesn't show up in the final cut. Yeah, we did a whole thing about um, about the approach to nudity, and I think you know me uh, pretty well by now, and you know that the nudity aspect per se is not something that I really care about as deeply as I do about the ethics and the morals that go hand in hand with the way of life, or at least the way I believe uh, that they should go hand in hand. And we had a nice little discussion about it, and unfortunately it ended up on the cutting room floor. So just so you know, not one person from our group, and we got a tremendous amount of views, not one person actually mentioned the clothes issue. They did, however, ask about the singing penises and vaginas. And um, just so you know, that's uh, those two videos um, I was explaining to the girl that, um, that was doing the documentary that um, in YNA we feel that anything should be able, we should be able to talk about. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about anything. And as long as you talk about things openly, and uh, honestly, then there's nothing wrong about it. So I brought up the two, those by chance were two articles. One of them was about the male penis, and that's why the penis is singing uh, on the screen. And the other one was about the issue of labiaplasty, which we did two articles about, and those are the singing vaginas. So just so you know, it wasn't porn. It was a little weird especially without the context, <laughs> but it came out okay at the end, I think. Yeah, it's okay. I, honestly, that part I had not noticed. I got a comment asking me about it because uh, I re, uh, repeated, retweeted and, and shared the video uh, through my feeds as well, and I got several comments, and one of them was about you know the penises on the, t on the video screen, and I'm going, what? I didn't even notice that. I guess I was looking and listening more to the big picture thing, and I went back and found them. But I did notice the, that you were wearing clothes, and I did. I got a couple comments on that. Um, don't don't you think though now that in the context what it looks like, that for the people on the outside it might seem kind of funny that there's a, this guy kind of there wearing clothes who is, I mean, you are a leader in the community, right? So, don't you think that might be would might have been better if you weren't wearing clothes? Well, you know, in the context of the documentary, um, I don't believe, I'll give you a great example, actually. Um, we were asked um, about a couple of years ago to do an interview for CNN, and they wanted to do it nude. I had an issue with that because I believe that um, if you're going to go to the CNN corporate offices, 
you're going to give an interview. Nobody else is nude. Why should you be nude? I mean, it's kind of like making the nakedness the center po point of the conversation and not the morals and the ethics which we work so hard to promote. Absolutely, but th but that, and I agree with you on that. I never do that as well. I've always said, I will be nude in studio if the host is nude, and they, of course, never go for that. But right. you were in your place, though. You were in a in a YNA environment, and and Felicity was nude, right? Yeah. In retrospect, uh, you know, I might have done things differently, but again, you know, there was no way for me to know what would end up on the cutting room floor or not. It's not it's not from a place of shame or anything. Um, like that, um, there's nothing that I don't have an issue with it. I also, part of the, my whole approach comes from my upbringing, which is very um, different than most people because I grew up in a kibbutz in Israel. And when you grow up within your core social group, they're like your family. You take showers together, boys and girls, you eat together and everything, you spend almost every waking moment together. Um, so for us, the nudity aspect um, was something that was never, it was just very different. It was just like, okay, you take a shower, you get undressed, you get out of the shower, you get dressed. Um, but it was never like a, a focal point. And I believe based on, I mean, the interactions that we had during the, um, the shooting of the documentary, I thought that that whole interaction would actually make it in, but it didn't. So in retrospect, maybe. <laughs> oh, fair enough. And you know, I, it, it was, it's a good documentary and I, it's, that's why I shared it and I like it. Um, I, uh, and I respect what you guys are doing. So I, I know your intention were good and I know you don't have any problems taking your clothes off, but I felt I had to give you a hard time. No, you know, if you're not going to give me a hard time, who is, right? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Except a... for about two million people in the world, I guess. Uh... <laughs> well, the one thing I know, Jordan, is that uh, you can dish it out so and you can take it as well. Uh, this is true. This is yeah. true. That's good, yes. right? Yeah, no, I mean, if you, can't, uh, if, you can't dish, if you dish it out, you have to be able to take it. And trust me, by now, I can take it. You've had some criticism, have you? Uh... I've had maybe once or twice <laughs> in my past. Now, I'm, I'm used to getting clobbered all over the place, whether it be, you know, believe it or not, a lot of it comes from within the nature's uh, community uh, as a whole. It's very odd because um, mainstream tends to be much more supportive of uh, what we do, which is that very interesting. That is very true. And the infighting that we see within the movement it has, you know, for 100 years has been infighting in the movement. And it's very counterproductive, but it's, I don't know if it'll ever stop. It should. It should. There's actually no, I, I see no real uh, reason for it, no real point for it. And even if some people do things that you don't agree with, it's great that they're out there because that gives people the ability with those morals and ethics to go there, you know? So I don't, I don't perceive anybody as being competing. I would like to see a little bit more support. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's so many egos and so many people that believe that they know what's right and, and they're very close minded to anybody else's opinions. So, you know, it's a, we just have to deal with it. So we lower our head. We do what we believe is right and we hope for the best. So since we don't have you often, uh, we usually we have Felicity on. Um, 
let me ask you. You you know you've been uh, you've been critical of Anner and what they've done. Uh, some of the we've you know talked about some of the issues that have happened in terms of the change in the executive directors. Do you think there's any value to what Anner's doing? Ah, you know, you you have a talent of pushing me into a corner and giving you an answer because you know I'm going to give you an answer. Um, <laughs> That's that's part of my problem in life is I don't shy away. I'll give you my opinion if you ask for it. Since you asked for it, you know, I believe there there has to be some sort of value in what they do. Um, my issue with Anar and the whole executive director was the fact that it was all shrouded in secrecy. I personally have no real idea what Anar does on a day-to-day basis that is beneficial or not. I actually honestly don't know what they do exactly. I know the broad generalities and whatever, but I don't know specifics. Uh, it's not from a lack of trying uh, to understand, but it just um, it's just the nature of Anar and what they do. And you also have to understand there's a very big difference between Anar National and Anar Regionals. When I mention Anar, I'm talking about the national organization, the umbrella company of all of it, and not the regionals, which are separate entities, which a lot of people don't even know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have issues with what they do what, that I can see because I believe um, – I believe that there's certain things that should be addressed that might not be addressed and whatnot. But, you know, at the end of the day, I believe that as long as they're out there and doing what they believe is right, and as long as they can uh, sustain themselves, then they should uh, definitely, I hope they'll be around for a long time. I don't see a conflict there. Good. And I've made, I've made attempts to offer my opinion and my support and my help. Maybe one day they'll take it, maybe not. And um, just as long as uh, they know that we're not enemies. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that Beverly understands that from my interactions with her. Um, and hopefully, and I know for a fact that a lot of the um, other people within Anar uh, know that there is no ill will from my part towards Anar as a whole. I might be critical of specific things they do, but I believe that if you're an organization, you should be able to um, deal with criticism. And it's not coming from a bad place, because if I didn't care, I wouldn't say anything. If I wanted them to be out, I would definitely, I would act as if they don't exist. And that's probably the best thing that I could do from a YNA perspective, but I don't want them to fold. I want them to do well. That's why I still offer my help here and there when, when I see that there are issues and whatnot. Well, I met with Bev Price when I was down in Florida, and uh, she seemed interested in maybe coming on to the show as well. So maybe I'll yeah. ask her the same question about you and YNA then. Yeah, you should. And I actually offered her to do an interview as well on YNA. I didn't uh, get such a... Um, I didn't get a a concrete yes or no, but, um, you know, that would be great. I would love it if, um, if, uh, you could get her on and, uh, promote the Anar, promote, uh, the podcast and, um, try to find out what's really going on. That would be wonderful.
Well, that's all once again for this episode of the Naturist Living Show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Again, my name is Stéphane Deschain, and I'm your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Nature Spark. And as I said repeatedly throughout the show, you can find links to all the things I mentioned in the show notes, which is on the website at naturistliving, one word, naturistliving, dot bear oaks, B-A-R-E, of course, bearoaks.ca, because we're in Canada. And keep sending your comments and suggestions. I always appreciate reading them. I'm sorry if I don't reply to them all anymore because I get a lot of comments, but I try. Um, the email address for the show is naturistliving, again, one word, at bearoaks.ca. Um, you can also, I keep saying that every show, you can call and leave a comment. Take as many tries as you want. You can even delete it if you're not happy when you're done. Um, don't promise I will use it, but I will use most of them if I can until we get a large volume, which we're not. I'm not sure why people are comfortable writing, but they're not comfortable um, recording comments. It's very easy. You just call. Um, you can call if you, you know, it's a country code one, uh, area code 905-473-6060, and that's the main Bear Oaks voicemail system. And the extension for the show is extension 333, which is easy to remember. You can also call toll-free in the U.S. and Canada, 1-888-373-9124. Again, extension 333, or through Skype, which is completely free, of course. The Skype name is Bear Oaks. You just type Bear Oaks, and it dials Bear Oaks. And that puts you also into the same phone system, same voicemail system. So then it's extension 333. Join us again in about a month for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca. Thank you.